This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, well, good morning. Today is the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent. If you're a guest here, it's good to have you. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. Advent is the four Sundays that precede Christmas Eve. And um, honestly, the fourth Sunday of Advent is always the hardest one to preach. I think it's the, uh, the Sunday where I most sympathize with a teacher on the last day of school before Christmas break. Like I can just look out and see in everybody's eyes that uh, minds are somewhere else, thoughts are somewhere else. How many of you, just 100% honesty, since you've been in service this morning, have already thought about something you have to do this afternoon? There you go. Okay, that's truthful, that's honest. Uh, the rest of you are lying. Uh, or um, you're a bad spouse and you're letting your spouse do all the work to get ready. So either way, not a good look for you. Um, leading into Christmas. But uh, we're going to do our best today to really focus our attention on what God wants to say to us. Advent, like I said, four Sundays leading up to Christmas at Christian Chapel, we culminate our Advent celebration with Christmas Eve services. This year we have two of those services. One is at 5.30 on Tuesday. The other is at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. I hope you'll be here with us. If you're in town, invite your friends and family to come with you. It's a great time for us to to just kind of pause and reflect. We've got a couple of extra fun elements for you this year. Uh, First of all, come early. Now, I I know uh, that is hard for people who call Christian Chapel home to do. Because um, when I say early, I actually mean early. Not like for some of us on time is early, but that's not going to work for you on Christmas Eve. So on Christmas Eve, we've got a, a special little pre-show that's going to start about 10 minutes before each service. There's going to be some fun elements. There's going to be some adorable elements. You're going to want to be here for that. And then make sure you have time after uh, the Christmas Eve services to hang around for the, the photo booth, it's going to be a, a fun opportunity for you. So I don't know if you've been checking the forecast yet or not, uh, but it looks like it's going to be in the, the 60s on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year, which if you were really praying for a white Christmas, I'm sorry. Uh, Angie and I have been praying really, really hard for good weather because we're going to have about 20 people in our house from Monday through Sunday, uh, and a lot of them are little kids, so we want them to be outside as much as possible. So we've been praying for nice weather. God has answered our prayers, but if you were praying for a white Christmas, we still have a a kind of a compromise for you. That Christmas Eve photo booth is going to be out on the front porch. There'll be a snow machine out there, so you can pose with your families, and uh, you can fake like you had a white Christmas on Instagram, you know, which will kind of go along with the way we fake almost everything else about our life on Instagram. So um, it's, it's going to be great. Hang out afterwards to do that. It'll be lots of fun, but I hope you'll be here on Christmas Eve. Today, though, we're, we're going to kind of wind down uh, what we've been talking about during Advent this year, how Advent is a, a sign, a reminder that God always moves towards us. And the arrival of Jesus in our world is God's perfect and final statement That no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we're going through, he always moves towards us to reveal his purposes and his plans. This morning we're going to talk uh, from Luke chapter 2 about how Jesus comes to move past the surface and to get right down into the depths of our heart, right down into the depths of our mind to lead us into true experiences of life. Now, uh, that idea of moving past the surface might make you a little uncomfortable when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, but I think if, if you're honest, there are other spaces in life where you are very thankful 
that people have moved past the surface in their knowledge and in their expertise. So into the year, some of us, we, um, you know, you've met your insurance deductible for the year, and so now you're in that space of you're trying to get whatever last-minute elective surgery you can get done, right? Because it still feels free, and you feel like you're getting a better deal on it. So you're going to get in and get that knee scoped. You're going to get something else worked on. Um, and, and when you go in for surgery, if you've ever been there, you're in the little post-op room. You're a little loopy already from some of the meds they've gave you. Normally, the surgeon will come in and kind of run over what they're going to do. Now, in that moment, what you don't want your surgeon to say is to come in back, look, so we're taking care of your knee. I uh, read something on Wikipedia today about doing scopes, feeling pretty confident, uh, but we'll just make the cut and then see what happens. That's not going to inspire, like you want your surgeon to be an expert. For those of you who are flying uh, on Christmas Eve, you do not want to sit down in the the cabin of the airplane and be getting all your stuff adjusted and have the pilot get on the intercom as you're taxiing down and be like, hey, just want you guys to know, I, uh, I know about flying on a surface level. Um, and so we'll see how this goes for us. It's, it's not going to end well. We want those people to have in-depth knowledge, lots of experience, hours, months, years of training to be able to do what they want to do. And, and yet, for many of us in other areas of life, we will quickly settle for a surface experience because we don't want to dive in and do the hard work that's required of mastering a skill. Of, of really becoming an expert in a certain area. We don't always want to do the hard work in our relationships of, of pushing past the surface down into the depths. And spiritually, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, um, we live in a culture where it is not only accepted, but, but commonly expected that you only have a surface experience of religion, a surface experience of Jesus. This is why so many people can fill up churches every Sunday morning and still feel isolated and alone. It's why you can hear the gospel preached over and over again for months and years and decades on end and have no actual personal transformation occur in your life. Because you never allow Jesus to move past the surface down into the depths of your heart. But what we'll see in Luke chapter 2 this morning and then later in Luke chapter 12 is that this is exactly why Jesus came. He did not come to give you an appearance of righteousness. He did not come so that you could feel like you had it a little more together than you did before him. But he came to shine his light into the darkest corners of your heart, not to shame you or humiliate you, but to show you that my life comes into every single aspect of your existence. And I'm going to bring life and hope and healing into all of them. And so my prayer for you this week has been this morning as we talk about the the way that Jesus moves deeply in our hearts, that we will not approach that from a position of fear, but we will approach it just with an understanding of we have a loving father who gives good gifts to his children. And one of the gifts that he gives to us is the revelation of truth in every part of our life where he shows us there's not one aspect of your life that I do not have a purpose and a plan for. So I'm going to shine light. I'm going to meddle in some places. I'm going to dig around until we actually deal with those core issues. Then you're going to see just how deep, how freeing, and how permanent the life Jesus brings really can be. All right, so Luke chapter 2, the story we find here is the story of Jesus um, shortly after he's been born. His parents, Joseph and Mary, are taking him to the temple to offer sacrifices that are required of them by the law when a a firstborn son is, is born. And so they go to the temple, they're carrying Jesus, and as they walk in the temple, they are met by a man named Simeon. 
If you were here last week, we talked about Simeon. He's an older man who has been waiting for the Messiah to arrive. God has spoken to him and told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And then he tells him to go to the temple on this day. Simeon's standing there, and as, as his eyes fall on Joseph and Mary and on Jesus, there is something that God speaks to him that says, this is the one you've been waiting for. And so Simeon goes, and he takes the child in his arms, and he begins to thank God that he has seen the Messiah. He's seen the promise fulfilled. And then after that, he gives a, a prophecy to Mary about who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. If not, it'll be here on the screen for you. It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon is telling Mary and Joseph, telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us through Simeon, Jesus comes to elicit a response from everyone everywhere. And there are really only two responses. Some will rise to their place as the sons and the daughters of God through the ministry, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And others will fall away into their sin, their selfishness, their wickedness as he reveals truth to them. But there are only two options. The destiny of Jesus is to cause some to rise and some to fall. What what we're supposed to understand from the opening lines of the birth story of Jesus is that when he enters the world, he always creates a reaction and causes a response. And it's not just that he comes and it's kind of the slow little ripple effects of a small stone cast on the water. But when Jesus shows up in the world, it's much more like a tidal wave, a tsunami that comes and is, is obvious, is seen by everyone everywhere and causes everyone to respond to it. And what Simeon tells Mary, he's preparing her heart from the, the time she's holding her infant baby in her arms, is look, there are going to be some who reject him. And the way they reject him is going to cause it for you to feel like a sword has pierced your own soul. And he, he's prophesying the death of Jesus, the suffering, the rejection that he's going to experience. And it's, it's difficult to understand because as you start to read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus comes and he comes with a message of life. He comes with a message of love, of salvation, that, hey, you can be forgiven. Your relationship with God can be restored. Your relationship with each other can be restored. It is good news. Again and again and again, it's good news. And and yet, people reject him over and over and over again. And and it it doesn't quite make sense in your first reading through it. Because it seems like if somebody's coming with such good news, why wouldn't everyone embrace him? And as you keep reading through Simeon's prophecy, you see why not everyone embraces him. It's because Jesus doesn't just come and say, hey, I'm going to lead you into new life. He says, hey, I'm going to come. I'm going to lead you into new life. But part of the way I'm going to lead you is I'm going to reveal everything that's in your heart, your mind, your mouth. So Simeon says he's destined to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. And how's he going to do that? He's going to do that through a deeper move, by moving past the surface and starting to reveal the thoughts that each of us have in our heart. And that's the space where people start to reject Jesus. Because he he comes and says, yes, I bring you peace, but before I bring you peace, I'm going to reveal all the reasons you're not at peace. Yes, I bring you forgiveness, but as I forgive, I'm going to reveal all the things you need to be forgiven from. Yes, I bring joy, but as I bring joy, I'm going to reveal all of these false sources of joy that are leading you to such distress in your life. And when Jesus brings revelation, 
There is always an element inside of us that's afraid of, oh no, if I'm exposed, I'm going to be embarrassed. And so we kind of shy away from him. We don't fully enter into that space. And there's just, there's something about being around someone who speaks the truth all the time that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. So think of Christmas. You're heading into uh, some family celebrations probably, and every family has that person in their family. And that person just says what is true, whether it is comfortable or not. You have that. So typically it it seems like, in, in my experience, it's either a grandma who just doesn't care anymore, Right? Or more likely, at least in, in most of my instances, it's an uncle. I don't know why, uh, but it seems like uncles are the ones who, who are in that spot. So you're going to go into to your family holidays, be sitting around the table, sitting around the living room, and, and at some point, you know, one of your aunts is going to start complaining about, man, my knees hurt, and I just don't know what the problem is, and I think it's the weather, and I don't have a good doctor. And then that uncle, he's going to tell her, it's because you're fat. Right? If, you, if you'd lose 50 pounds, your knees would feel better. And everyone else is in there like, oh, I mean, it's true. But can you believe he said it out loud? And then you just stay there to wait and see, what's he going to say next? And then he goes over to the cousin, right, who's there with his second wife. And he knows that the first wife is a sore subject, but he walks over. And he's like, hey, second wife, nice to meet her. I always thought the first one was prettier. Why didn't that work out? And you're all just like, well, that, how, what, what is going on here? Somebody's complaining about, man, my kid's just really struggling in school this year. Their teachers are mean. They're just, I don't know how, but they have six teachers, and every single one of them is out to get my child. And there comes the uncle of, like, your kid's dumb. You were dumb. Your kid's dumb. Our family's dumb. We don't do well in school. That's the problem. They just say it, right? And they just say it, and, and we all sit around of like, oh, It's true, though. It's true. There's truth in what they're saying. And so some of us, you're going into Christmas, and you are dreading. Like when you see that uncle, you see that grandma in the room. If they're in the kitchen, you go in the living room. If they're in the living room, you go in the kitchen. You do anything you can to avoid them for two reasons. One, they make you uncomfortable. Second, you don't know what they're going to say about you. And you just really don't want them to say it in front of everyone. And then then others of us, we love the awkwardness. So we follow that uncle around, and we're, like, we're texting our siblings. We're doing, a, you'll never believe what he said now. We're taking the pictures to send out later. Um, and, and then there are some of you this morning, you're like, I don't, I don't think my family has that person. It's you. <laughs> That's what it means. Every family has them. So if you're, if you're just honest, like, no, our family, it's you. You're the one that people are avoiding or following around. Like, I, I had to be real honest with myself this week. It's, it's me and my brother on my side of the family. Like, we're the two that just get the sideways look. Um, we're like, it, did I lie? You know, and, and they, they, they have to admit. Now, thankfully, on Angie's side of the family, it's, it's one of her other brothers. So I get the experience on both sides of it. But the reason that makes us uncomfortable is there's just that element of, of truth that is spoken. And it's unvarnished, and it's plain as day, and no one can hide behind it. And we're just all in that space of like, well, what do we do now? Now, it, it can be uncomfortable at Christmas. But when Jesus starts to speak to us in these ways, clearly and specifically about thoughts, about actions, about habits, about attitudes, about ways that we are living at odds with his kingdom, some of us feel very exposed. We feel very isolated. We feel very alone. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in that spot where um, something that you did in private that you weren't proud of uh, became public. And if you have, 
you know it's, it's a pretty tender spot to walk through. A couple years ago, Angie and I were driving out to a graduation party for one of my cousin's kids. And as we were driving out there, our kids at the time were probably, I think our younger two or three or four, our older one was probably six or seven. And so they're little, we're driving in the, we're in the minivan and uh, driving out there. And on the way, Angie and I are having a discussion. And what we're discussing um, is how my, my family had given us this invitation like two days before. And we had received a, an invitation to another graduate party for somebody from church like two months before. Um, but on the way out, I'm telling her like, look, it's family. And I, I know it's last minute, but family always trumps. So that's what we're, that's what we're going to go to. And so uh, she disagreed, um, and, and she was wrong, but I was trying to, you know, gently show her why. You know, blood's thicker than water. I'm, I'm throwing out everything at this point. Well, I, you might not know my wife and I, but we are both um, strong personalities, and we both um, are right all of the time. Uh, and so have you ever watched that National Geographic stuff where like the rams are running at each other and just bashing heads? That can be our conversation at times about things like this. So Angie, uh, you know, we had a drive. It was out to Claremore. So we had a good uh, 30 minutes in the car to really work ourselves up into a lather right before we got there. And, and I know like none of you, you never argue, you never fight. God bless you. We do. Okay, and so, so we're, we're just, it's, it's, it's escalating, not to a bad extent, but definitely like the voices are getting louder, the grip on the steering wheel is getting tighter, um, and, and I'm just talking to her, and she's talking to me, and our kids are in the back, you know, just not oblivious, paying very close attention, we would later find out. And so we get to my cousins and get out of the car, now Angie and I both know, hey, it doesn't matter what's just been said, when that door closes behind us, I love you. You love me, we'll pick it up later, okay? And so, so we get out, walk around, open her door, get the kids out, walking up to the front porch. My cousin's wife comes out. Hey, Chris and Angie, so good to see you. We're like, yeah, Janae, so good to see you. And my little one like splits between me and Angie. My mom and dad were fighting the whole way here. Like, oh, man, please, God, if you love us at all, don't let her ask what we were fighting about. We were fighting about if we should come to your house or not, or if we should go out to somebody else's. And I wanted to come here, but Angie didn't want to. I mean, who do you love more, Janae? Right? Uh, Like, it's just that whole, but in that moment, you are completely exposed. Now, my cousin handled it well. She was gracious. She was like, oh, moms and dads disagree sometimes. And, you know, she, she did the thing you're supposed to do. But there's still that moment of like, kid, shut up. We don't do, like, the family secrets, Okay. No one would ever guess that your mom and I disagreed about anything. Uh, but, but we have this moment, and, and sometimes it's, it's goofy stuff. Sometimes it's more serious, though, where what you've said in secret is exposed, where the things you were involved in you thought no one else would ever find out about, they come to light. And in these spaces, it is not pleasant. It's not something that's enjoyable. But we really have a choice to make of when it's exposed, are we going to uh, just kind of accept this is who I am, this is where I am, this is what I am, and I'm going to deal with the consequences, and I'm going to trust that God's going to lead me through it? Or am I going to run away from a deeper move of the Spirit and try to hide from him and try to think that Jesus doesn't really care about what's going on down here as long as it looks okay on the top? What Simeon is telling us from the arrival of Jesus is he has come to cause the rising and the falling of many. 
And the reason some rise and the reason others fall is because some understand when he works deeply and reveals what's inside, it's so he can raise me up into life, into my true identity as a son, as a daughter of God. And others see it as a threat to who they are and what they've accomplished. And they turn away from him and choose to embrace a lifestyle where they think they're hiding all the things that are underneath. Now, this is the prophecy of Jesus from the day he's born. And as he begins to preach and teach, he reaffirms that this is what he's come to do. He comes to shine light into darkness, but not in a generic sense, in a very specific and very personal sense. So if you flip over to Luke chapter 12, you can see how Jesus says it over there. He says in in verse 2, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, not everyone is happy about that, and that's understandable. We, we all like to live uh, with this expectation of privacy, that there are spaces and places where I can say whatever I want, and no one will hold me accountable for it. That there are places and spaces where I can do whatever I want, and no one else will ever find out about it. But what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 2 mirrors what David says in Psalm 139, that there is no space in your life God doesn't know. He perceives your thoughts from afar. He sees your coming and your going. He knows the things you say. He knows the things you do. He knows the things you thought about saying, the things you thought about doing. And so what Jesus is trying to help us understand is you have to lay down this false idea that there is a part of your life he either doesn't know about or doesn't care about. Because he knows about it all, and he cares about it all, and he has a plan for it all. Now, for me, there, there have been seasons in my life where this passage was terrifying to me because it, it feels like a threat of exposure. It feels like Jesus is saying, hey, I know it all, and one day I'm going to pull back the veil and embarrass you in front of everyone. Right? I'm just going to shine the light. I remember those youth group sermons of like, hey, what if, what if your thoughts were all on the screen right now? Like, well, I would run out the back door and never come back to this church because I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that level of exposure. What if we all knew everything you thought, everything you said? What if your parents knew the things you said after they sent you to your room? It's like, I, no, I don't need to live in that world. I don't want to live in that world. It only gets me in more trouble. I lived in fear that, that this verse and others like it taught the idea that somehow Jesus was up there with this eternal scorecard and he was just keeping track of all the bad things I'd done and there was going to come a day where he had finally had enough. He said, that's it. I'm done. I'm telling everybody. And on that day, I was convinced my world would come crashing down and everything would fall apart and I'd lose my friends and lose my family. Nobody would want to be around me again. But as I've grown, as I've matured, as I've learned what it's like to let Jesus shine his light in the darkness, what I've learned is that he does it not to embarrass or humiliate, but to save. And so so what what I've learned in my life is there has never been a space where I have been caught or exposed that God has not previously been convicting me of for extended periods of time. 
There have always been chances. There's always been opportunities. There's always been moments where he said, this is not the way. This isn't the path. You need to confess. You need to get out. You need to ask someone for help. You need to admit that this is a problem. And in all of those spaces, that has come again and again and again and again and again and again. But if I continually ignore that drawing of his spirit into repentance and into new life, God loves me enough to let me get caught. And that is really hard for us to understand. There's a a temptation in the church to think that um, grace means we never have to deal with any of the consequences of our sin. Grace means that Jesus forgives you completely and totally. It means that he restores your identity in an instant, from a, a sinner to a son and a daughter of God. It means that he can restore and renew everything the enemy has ruined and stolen from you. But it does not mean that you're exempt from any consequences of your behavior. But Jesus loves me enough to let me walk through some of those painful consequences instead of just staying stuck in this secret sin. And so what we have to kind of come to the understanding of today is we, we've got to get to this point where we're not afraid of letting him move deeply within us. There's a fear of like, well, if he knew who I really was, he already does. He knows what you're doing. He knows who you're doing it with. He knows when it's occurring. He knows what's happening. He knows the the underlying motivations that cause it. He's not caught off guard by it. He's not surprised by it. His response actually is, I'm just going to keep moving in grace to you. I'm going to keep convicting. I'm going to keep shining light in darkness, not to embarrass or humiliate you, but in hopes that you will surrender, and I can lead you to life. But we all have a choice to make. Will I let him move? Will I surrender this to Jesus? Or will I become so consumed with keeping up appearances that I just keep traveling down this path of bondage, addiction, uh, until thinking that, well, as long as nobody knows, it's fine. See, In every area of life, whenever an infection is exposed, whenever something broken is revealed, we have to enter into that and we have to do something about it. And this is what Jesus does for us. He comes to shine his light into our darkness, into every single corner, so we can understand how pervasive and powerful the new life is that he brings to us. Jesus doesn't come to save you a little bit. He comes to save you completely. And his complete salvation means that his light is going to shine into the darkest corners of your heart, which means I have to learn to embrace conviction as a gift and stop confusing it with condemnation. When the Spirit convicts, it's because he loves. And Jesus comes, and and before he expels our sin, he exposes it to us. He says, look, here's what's going on. Here's where this is in your life. And I'm going to drive it out, but I want you to see it. I want you to acknowledge it. I want you to confess it. And I want you to watch how I'm going to bring life and light into these spaces that have been dead for so long. But we've got to make a choice. Am I going to let him move? Am I going to be okay admitting that there are still some dark spaces in my life? 
Am I going to be okay having the conversation with myself, having the conversation with somebody that I, that I love, somebody that I trust of, hey, you know what? There's some things God is still teaching me. There's some spaces where he is still leading me. There's some attitudes, some actions where he's convicting me, and I need to start letting his light shine deeply, letting the gospel have its full effect so I can start moving forward in these areas. Will I let his light shine thoroughly in my life? Am I willing to say, you know what, yeah, I, I've, got some, I've got some anger problems over here, and I think maybe this is where they come from, and God, can you work there? Are you willing to say, hey, I've, I've got some problems with bitterness, with hatred over here. I've got some unforgiveness. I've got some addictions. I've got some sin I haven't dealt with. I've got some pain from my childhood. There's some brokenness in our marriage. There's some dysfunction in the relationship with my parents or my, or my children or my siblings. Am I willing to say, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of a, just a, this residual dishonesty that lives inside of me where I find I lie for absolutely no reason at all. Are we willing to let God's light shine in the darkness and not just shine kind of for a moment and then, okay, let's move on, but shine and us just kind of sit down and say, Lord, don't just expose it once, but show me why it's there and show me how you're going to lead me out of it. Now, some of us, we can sit here today and, and there's a temptation to feel like, yes, that is a great message for these people on each side of me. They've got some darkness. I could help them. Right? But, but the point today is not how does God's light shine in your spouse's darkness, your son's darkness, your daughter's darkness, your friend's darkness. It's what is God saying to you? What space in your life is God speaking to you and saying, let me work there? Let's deal with this. And what, what name do you put on it? What's the action? What's the relationship? What's the, 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 the fear? What, what is it that God is saying, let's work on this? Let me lead you. Let me guide you in these spaces, in these areas. Now, if, if you're asking that question this morning of God, what are you saying to me? Where are you asking me to grow? Where are you asking me to let your light shine? So if the answer is absolutely nowhere, then you have two options. Okay, so option one is you're perfect, which, congratulations, um, it's you and Jesus. So maybe you tell us what your birth month is, and, you know, we'll, we'll have four Sundays where we await your arrival and bring a little preschool choir up on your birthday to sing happy hallelujah Christmas songs to you. Uh, you know, so, so that's an option that, that, that we're perfect. The more likely option, though, is for one reason or another, we've stopped listening. We thought somewhere along the way that we have now matured past God's need to continually shine his light into the darkness. But if we're just real honest, I mean, has, has the enemy stopped tempting you? Has he stopped trying to destroy your life? Has he stopped trying to separate your marriage? Has he stopped trying to distract you and disarm you? He hasn't. And so as long as he's at work trying to pull you away from God, the spirit is at work trying to pull you closer to God, trying to reveal his light in his life. And so for us today, if we're in a space where we're saying, no, there's nothing God is saying to me, what it's proof of is we're not listening. And so my encouragement to you during Christmas, heading into the beginning of the year, is begin to pray that prayer frequently and often of, God, will you shine your light into my life? Will you help me to not settle for a surface experience of following Jesus? Will you work in the depths of my soul, remaking every single part of me into the image of Christ? 
This is what Jesus has come to do. When the shepherds make their announcement to the angels, they say, we bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And the reason a Savior has been born to us is because we need to be saved. There are spaces in our life where we are compromising. There are spaces in our life where we have kind of just pushed it off in a corner and said, no, Lord, please, let's just not ever have to talk about that. But still he moves towards you and says, I'm a savior in that space. It's good news of great joy. As you let me go to work, as you begin that process of confession, I'm going to bring new life. I'm going to bring restoration. And so our, our response then is just to say, well, Lord, then speak. Shine your light in the darkness. Speak clearly to me. Help me to embrace your conviction as a gift. So if you'll stand with me today, I want to pray with us, and then the band's going to come back. They're going to lead us in a final song. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come to you today thankful that you have moved towards us. You saw us in our sin. You see all of the ways that we have fallen short of what you've called us to. And yet your response has always been to move towards us. So Lord, I pray in, even in these moments that your spirit would begin to speak clearly. Show us where we have settled for less than what you've offered to us. Lord, show us the spaces in our life, whether it's at, at work, at school, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships. Maybe it's some personal attitudes or actions. Maybe it's some things we're involved in that that we know we have no business in. Show us, Lord, the spaces where we have settled for a surface experience of the gospel. Show us where we've become satisfied with others just having the perception that we've surrendered our lives to you. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you in these moments to come and speak powerfully and personally to each one of us. None of us have reached perfection. None of us have outgrown our need for your conviction. So Holy Spirit, will you come in your power? Will you come in your might? Will you come in your grace and in your mercy? And shine your light into the darkness of our souls. Not to condemn us or to judge us, but to set us free and lead us into new life. We're going to take a a moment here this morning and, and just be silent together and let the Spirit speak to us. the revelation of sin. We embrace the revelation of darkness as a space where your light and salvation are at work. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning and and they feel just that stirring in their gut, the unease, Lord, of knowing that there are spaces where you are working deeply and yet they're afraid to acknowledge it. They're hesitant to move forward because they don't fully trust that you're going to lead them all the way through. Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would give them an infusion of faith and courage to believe that you're a loving Father who gives good gifts to his children. 
and that you reveal sin so that you can drive it out. So Lord, help us to confess the areas where you are working. Help us to verbalize those to our friends and our family, to invite others into your process of grace in our lives. Jesus, we pray that you would bind and push out the fear that holds us captive to our sin today. Help us to see, Lord, that every stirring, every conviction, every movement in our mind and our spirit is a gift from you, drawing us back into the life you've created us for. Help us not to settle for a surface experience of your grace, but let it work deeply and thoroughly in us. In Jesus' name. Band's going to lead us in a final song this morning. As they do, if you'd like someone to join you in personal prayers uh, for your life, for any issues at all that you might have, maybe it's to say yes, to walk in relationship with Jesus for the first time. If you'll head out the back doors and to your left as we sing, uh, some of our pastors and prayer team will be waiting to meet with you. The rest of us, we're going to sing this final song together as a declaration of the life and the hope that we have in Christ.
this morning is not just in a, a Jesus who was born, but in one who lived, who suffered, who died, and was resurrected. We can let his light shine deeply and brightly in our darkness because he's the one who has perfectly and finally overcome sin and death for us and invited us into that new life. So in this season of observing his birth, of celebrating his arrival, may you continue to let him come and shine light into every part of your life, into every relationship, into every space where you go. And as his light shines, may you know he is always able and willing to lead you into an experience of life and freedom. Thank you for worshiping him with us today. May you go in his grace and his peace. We would love to see you on Christmas Eve at 5.30 or 7. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.